it's good to uh, good to be back. Uh, we've had an exciting uh, few weeks. Uh, the desert was great. We had a great weekend, and um, the time before that, the uh, Rams uh, Bible study is just going unbelievably well. And I just want to share with you just for a moment. Uh, why I believe that's true. Three years ago when we first started teaching the study, there were three men who showed up. Um, three men that um, had decided that they were tired of living a hypocritical lifestyle and they just wanted to get their act together with the Lord and, uh, and started to live what they say they believed. And um, it's amazing what God will do with us when we just turn our lives over to Him and say, just do whatever you want with me. I'm tired of living the way that I am. And uh, last Thursday night, the third week of our Bible study that we have during the series, I mean during the season, we had probably 35 people show up. Um, and that includes wives and girlfriends and children. And, uh, but 15 to 18 players now come on a regular basis. And they're excited about what's going on. And we're excited. We're just glad to be part of it. You know, just our walk with the Lord is like a roller coaster ride, man. I just kind of hang on and just kind of enjoy it. You know, you go down the hill, you go, whoa. And you come back up, you know, you get a chance to catch your breath. But basically, that's what it's like, and it's amazing to me, and I just want to encourage you as well, that uh, if you just live what you say you believe, that God could do some tremendous things, unbelievable things. And a lot of times we miss that because we're just not doing it. So uh, it's been exciting, and I appreciate the fact that, uh, that you'll have me back even with this new look. And in fact, the look, if you'll notice, it, it's, a little, it's, it's peer pressure, and I'll, I'll own up to it. Um, every guy on the team has one, you know, they, they're just kind of trying to, this bond, you know, this male bonding thing, you know. <laughs> you know, the male bonding thing, we can't hang out at the bars and, you know, have a couple beers anymore together, so we just kind of like grow facial hair, I don't know. <laughs> if you've got your Bibles, turn with me, First John chapter 4. We'll see if we're doing this right or not. I don't know. I got a lot to learn. First John chapter 4. We're going to pick up on our study. For, the, for those of you who are visiting, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, when last I left, we've been going through this, uh, a book study of the book of First John. And uh, we find ourselves in the fourth chapter, starting with verse 7. And we'll go down through verse 11. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's ask God to bless our time. Our Father, we're just grateful for this opportunity to be here, to gather around and to see what you have to say about this subject. We just thank you that uh, we live in a world that uh, is in desperate need of your kind of love. We thank you that it's available. We regret the situation that we find ourselves in as a society and the things that we're trying to uh, fill from that standpoint, that need that we have, and looking for love, as the song says, in all the wrong places. And we just thank you that we can turn to your word and see what you have to say about this subject that has many, many volumes of books and records and stories written about it, but so many of them are so far off base. And we just thank you for this time and ask you to bless it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> 
as I was saying, you know, the subject of love conjures up all sorts of thoughts and imagery. And uh, I like what one man wrote. He said, in the name of love, love, ships have been launched, wars are fought, hot dogs are bought, and children are conceived, yet later abandoned to a lover. We say love makes the world go round. We sing about finding it, losing it, struggle to maintain it, only to never truly define it. And that's so true in the world that we live in. The re- regretfully, a lot of us are turning to many different places to try to figure out what love's all about. Songs are filled with it. Books are filled with it. Stories are written about it. Love stories and all the kind of stuff that goes along with it. And we turn every other direction to try to identify what love really is. And yet so many of us refuse to turn to what this book has to say about that subject. What greater place to find uh, the answers to love than in a book that basically summarizes God's love to a rebellious world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This book is a love story of absolute unparalleled proportions. Nothing in our world can, can imitate this. This book tells us how much God who made us, loves us. And to what lengths he went to demonstrate that he does. There's no greater answer and there's no greater place to turn for for the answer to love than in this book. And the interesting thing in 1 John is that John throughout this book talks about love. In fact, this week and next week we're going to look at two different aspects of how he identifies this love. But 51 times he uses the word love in this little epistle. 51 times. He also, in five different times, he, he, he calls us beloved, as he does in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. You know, there's, there's just a bond that takes place, and um, it's amazing transformation when you consider the life of the man who wrote this, a man who was known, Jesus called him the, 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 thun, the, thun, the son of thunder, and, um, and what a transformation took place in this guy's life that he would go from being the son of thunder to always worrying about who was the greatest of all the disciples and the constant bickering and arguing that went along with it to a man who was broken to the point where he realized that he was God's servant here on earth. And, and now he can have a love for, for us that we too should have for one another. And that's basically what he's going to try to summarize in this particular section. You know, if you want to divide this letter into two sections, the first half that we've studied already uh, tells us that God is light. And in God there is no darkness. And yet there's a contradiction between those of us who say, if we claim to love God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and deceive ourselves. And so what he's been trying to get across to us from the very beginning is that there's a point in time where you enter this race called the Christian walk. And then as you, as you look at this, we enter here and we're going here. And the finish line, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 tells us that the finish line, the author and the perfecter of our faith is Jesus Christ who stands at the finish line and encourages us in this walk that we have here on earth. What he wants to do is get us from this point, the beginning of the race, to this point, the end of the race, with as little damage to us as we... As he, as, he possibly can share with us and also so that as we're running this race others will look at our life and see that there's a difference between what people say they believe and the the way that they live and that there is for a lot of us there is no difference what we say we believe we live it and as people see us running this race they're attracted to get and they want to join in and so that's what john says in the first half he's saying that god is light in him there is no darkness there is a way to live that takes place once you enter the race the question that we'll see, and we'll see in this section, is how do you enter the race? And he identifies that quite well. The rest of the book that we'll look at is it, it, it identifies God as love. God is love. 
He's not just light. He's not just love. There's not a part of him that's light, not a part of him that's love, but he is all light and he is all love and love and light emanate from who he is and his character and his attributes. And so as we go down through this, we're going to see that God is love and it becomes imperative then that we understand what the Bible teaches about love. Our big problem, obviously, in the English language is that the English language leaves much to be desired when it comes to try to identify uh, what love is all about. And so as we go through this, uh, we need to understand that when you're reading through, the, particularly the New Testament, it's broken out and there's four different words that the Greeks use. The Greeks are pretty sharp and they realize that love couldn't mean the same thing in all circumstances. For example, how, you, know, you see a commercial that says, I love pizza or I love hot dogs. Well, that's not the same kind of love. You can't have the same kind of love for a hot dog that you do for your husband. Unless, of course, your husband is a hot dog. <laughs> And then, you know, then it gets pretty close there. But, uh, but you don't have the same kind of love for uh, football or for, for skiing that you do for um, your children or that you do for your spouse or, you, or that you do for a job or whatever. You know, we use love intermittently for everything. You know, I love Fido and I love my wife, you know. Well, gee whiz. And, and sometimes it's real confusing. I love football, but I love my wife. She thinks I love football more than her sometimes. And, uh, you know, the good news is, is that we've got another 186,000 hours of football left in this football season. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, and somehow you've got to make her understand. And, and the good news is that, hey, guys, here's what you've got to do. You've got you to gotta encourage her to like what you like. Oh, it's great. This is great. I mean, she's, she's worse than me. She jump up in front of me and watch the TV. Oh, oh, this is great. This women, you appreciate this. All right, so we're at the game. We're at a game a couple weeks ago, the home game that was there. And one of the guys in our Bible study, he gets hammered. He just gets his clock clean. Bang! What ladies, that means that he gets flattened. Okay, he's laying on the ground, and this big guy lays on top of him. All right, this is this is the kind of stuff that you got to put up with, though, if she's going to join you in what your hobby is. She goes like this. Give me those binoculars. Well, they're already on my neck, so it's one of these. <laughs> she goes, he's laying on Brett. That's not fair. <laughs> well, call the police, babe. I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do? But, uh, but it's great, you know, and it's kind of like, well, so we get to go and we do this kind of stuff together. And so, you know, if you like sports, I just encourage you to try to convince your wife it's a great thing. Um, four kinds of love. Okay, here we go. Back to what we started to talk about. Four kinds of love. And what the Greeks understood is that, hey, you know what? You can't have the same word for everything. It just doesn't make any sense. So they've got four different words. The first word has to do with family love. Family love. All right? And uh, so as we're going through this, we need to kind of identify what love is being spoken of when we go through as John begins to identify what type of love there is. So one of the words that they use is a family love. It's a love that's used between um, parents and children. And uh, interesting enough, it's the same word that they used uh, for their pets too. So there's not a whole lot of difference, I guess, to the Greeks with their kids and their pets. Um, it's interesting. And you've been there. I mean, you know, it's kind of like until you have a child, a pet can be your child. You ever been that? You've been there? We've got a lot of young guys on our team, right? And they're just starting to have kids and stuff. And they have dogs. And they've got, like, you know, one, that portrait of their dog in the hallway and stuff. And, you know, and I didn't want to burst their bubble. But I said, you wait. When you have a child, your dog will become a dog. <laughs> it's like, you'll be going, 
don't be licking her face. Get that dog outside. You know, what did they eating her food? Get out of here. You know, it's all of a sudden it becomes an animal again. But somehow there's a real close identity and a bond that goes along with it. So, you know, they kind of use the same word to do that. The second word, and it's interesting that this word isn't found anywhere in Scripture, but it's one that the Greeks used. It's eros, which is erotic. <laughs> it's an erotic love. And... Um, uh, it's that pacemaker, man, you know, every now and then. <laughs> just gives you that joke. Got to cut down on the caffeine. Anyway, um, so it, it's an erotic love that has to do with sensual love, physical love, and nowhere in Scripture is it even mentioned. And I think it's obvious because sensual love, sexual love, is a natural response to any type of love that we have. Our society is confused. We, we confuse love with lust. And there's a big difference between the two. And so as we go down through it, you'll see that, the, that they recognize that there was two. Then there's a third type of love, a friendship love, a love of companionship. A kind of love where, <clears throat> as a guy, you know, as you, like, when a guy grows up, I had some close friends. I mean, they were, my, they were good friends. But then as you get older, you don't really want to admit that you have real close men friends because you don't want anybody to think. <laughs> you know, so you've got to kind of play it low-key. But the reality of it is, is that Jesus said to his disciples that you are my friends. And because you're my friends, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I won't keep any secrets from you. We're close. We're intimate. I can share with you. We've got companionship. Man, they spent time together. They lived together. They slept together. They hiked together. You know, the discipleship process is all involving, man. I mean, it's not like you can say, okay, come to our Bible study, and then we're going to teach you about the ways of God, and then don't bug me the rest of the week because i got some other stuff to do. If you're going to if you're going to work with people and spend time with people, you've got to invest your life and pour them into people. And you've got to make yourself vulnerable and available to them and, and help them to see that you struggle like they do. And yet there's answers in the Word of God for which way you should go and the direction you should go. And don't be afraid to be transparent and open and vulnerable to the problems that other people have. You know what our attitude is? Hey, you know what? You think you got problems? Let me give you a list of my problems. Oh, great. There we go. I can see Jesus. They're walking along and, you know, they're struggling with some stuff. John says, Jesus, man, I've got to share something with you. Hey, don't be bugging me, man. i got stuff to do. i got places to go. i got mountains to climb. i got a program to lay out. I don't got time for your problems. He never did that. And that's our big problem is that's what we do. But see, this type of love, companionship love, says that I'm not afraid to say, man, I've got good friends. And the, re- and the regretful thing is that for many of us who have come from like a sports background, for example, man, I miss being in a locker room. It's the greatest thing to be part of this because not only do I minister to someone else, but it helps me as well. I miss being in a locker room. I miss being with people who are working and they've got something in common and they're trying to, to identify a goal that they're trying to accomplish and spending time and, and joking around and being involved with one another. I mean, we all need that, and that's companionship love. We all need that type of love. We all need that kind of accountability, and that's what the problem is. None of us want it, but we have to have it. But then there's the final step in the highest form of love that the Greeks could identify, and that's the love that John talks about in this chapter, and that's spiritual love. That is God's love. There is nothing like it in the world. Companionship love's not like it. Sexual love isn't like it. Um, family love's not like it. And that's what our biggest problem is. Because, see, and you talk about marital relationships... Our big problem in a marital relationship is that we look to one another to meet the most intimate need that we have as human beings. We look to each other for the companionship, and that's great. There's nothing better than having a friend for life. 
That's the greatest thing in the world. Someone who's always going to be there. They're not going to turn their back and walk away from me when you blow it, when you make a mistake, when you're not what you used to be and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing like a friend like that. There's nothing like the physical relationship that comes with being married. There's nothing like the relationship that I have with my children. Man, those are great things. But you know what? None of those things will fill the greatest need that I have in life. Blaise Pasquale said the greatest need in the life of every human being is a vacuum-shaped, a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, woman, and child. And there's nobody else that can meet that need like God can. And I've got to encourage you because if you're looking for someone else to meet that need, you will be sorely disappointed. Your expectations will be let down. Your spouse can't do it. A friend can't do it. Your children can't do it. And the wonderful news is I hope that by the time you leave here today, you'll understand that guess what? You can't live your life through your kids. You can't live your life through your spouse. You can't live your life through Fido or whatever because Fido will let you down. And so will everybody else. The greatest need that we have is to have an understanding of God's love and how he'll meet that intimate need that we're all craving for. And so what he does is he goes down through here and he begins to share with us some things that have to do with God's love. And as as you see, what he has to say, first of all, in in chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, he says that basically he wants us to identify six facts concerning God's love. The highest form of love that any of us will ever experience. There's nothing else like in the face of this earth. And he says, Dear friends or beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Do you notice what he's saying? This love is distributed by God. There's nowhere else that you're going to get it. God has the exclusive rights to distribute spiritual love, agape love, His love, to whomever He chooses to. And the question then becomes a matter of, well, how do you get it? How do you get God's love? See, you know what He says? Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Do you follow this? God, as the exclusive distributor of this type of love, you can't go to Pace, you can't go to Target, you can't go to any big wholesaler merchandiser to try to pick up what this love's all about. You can't manufacture it. I can't reach in deep, as they say, and try to become something that I'm not. I can't dig deep enough. I might be able to love Fido, and I might be able to love my wife, and I might be able to love my kids, but I'm only be able to love them to a certain degree. To have the highest form of love that's known to man, we have to get this type of love from God. And God gives it to us. But the only way that he does is, look what it says. That one, that to love as God loves, you have to be born of God and know God. That's why if you got your Bibles, turn back to John 3, and you'll see that John had already addressed this issue in the gospel that he wrote. And the purpose of him doing so is to help us to understand that this love has a supernatural source. You just can't get it anywhere else. And in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to, it, came to him at night and said, Hey, what can a guy do to get to heaven? What should I do? Jesus answered him very clearly and said in verse 3, He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you know, the cliche term that we hear often, I'm a born again Christian, as if there was some other kind of Christian, you know, is that there's only one way to become a Christian. 
according to the Bible, and that is you must be born again. The question is, what does it mean to be born again? Well, turn back to John chapter 1 and look at verse 12 for a moment. The chapter talks about Jesus Christ, and in verse 11 it says that He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, speaking of Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to be, listen, to be born into God's family, to become a child of God. There is a birth process that must take place. We are born into this world physically, but what Jesus is trying to help us to understand is that we are born physically, but dead spiritually. And just as we had to be born to get here physically, we must be born spiritually to now get into God's kingdom. You follow what he's saying? So that's why he says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And now here's the kicker. Who were born not of blood, as we were physically, nor of the, nor of the will of the flesh. I can't, you know, get my way and work my way into it and try hard to be like that. But he says that we are born not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but we are born of God. It is a supernatural, and that's why in John chapter 3, Nicodemus said, I don't understand this. How can I be born again? I'm too old, too big, and too ugly to crawl back into my mother's womb. She ain't going to let me do that anyway, and uh, it's not going to work. So I got a major problem here. How am I going to be born again? Jesus said, Don't marvel that I said to you in verse 7 of chapter 3 that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, one of the things that we need to understand is that for many of us, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a weird kind of oo-doo-doo-doo thing, you know what I mean? When someone says, I've been born again, well, what are you talking about? It doesn't, I mean, it's just weird. It doesn't sound right. I don't understand it. And as you see this, basically, in a nutshell, here, here's what it is. You ask Jesus Christ, you receive Jesus, you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, and the Bible says at that point you're born again. All right? I don't understand it, and that's okay. Nicodemus didn't understand it, and he was a lot sharper than I am. And Jesus didn't really explain it to him except to say this. You'll see the evidence of the truth. The wind. I don't understand it. I see it blowing around. I see the flags blow. I see wind blow junk in the street. I see papers flying around. I don't know where the wind comes from. I don't know where it's going. And he used something that would help me understand this. But what he's saying is that, hey, I, I don't understand this. But all I know is that God says it, it must be true. And the way I know it's true is because when I ask Christ to come into my life, my life has changed and there has been drastic evidence of a difference between before I knew him and after I've known him. I don't understand how it happens. It's a miracle of God. Titus 3, chapter 5 said it's a washing and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. When a person asks Jesus to come into his life, then the, the, the word of God tells us that we are cleansed from all of our sin, that we become new creatures. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ who lives within me. And, and they go on to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming that it's true. I don't understand it. And I'll just be honest with you. I don't understand it at all. But all I know is if you do it, that's what God says will happen. And as a result of that, what you'll be able to do is that you'll be able to love as God loves. Why? Because I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And if this love is a supernatural love that comes from God, and God lives within me, according to 1 Corinthians, where it says that we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit of God dwells within us if we've asked Jesus Christ into our life, then He can love others through me, the way that he loves. 
And that's the highest possible form of love known to mankind. So this type of love, this spiritual love, is distributed from God. You can't get it anywhere else. You can't buy it. It's not, and you can't come up with an imitation. And here's one way that we'll know it's true of our life. This type of love, this spiritual love, God's love, is delivered without requiring a response. God's love is delivered without requiring a response. And you know what? I mean, as, as you go through it, we'll begin to realize that the love that this world has that says and calls it love is always based on, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. God's love says, you know what? I don't care if you ever do anything for me. You don't have to do anything for me. I love you anyway, and I'm going to keep doing for you and keep doing for you. And we get marriage books that say, My marriage is 50-50, marriage sometimes is 60-40, marriage is 30-70, this depends on what's going on. And I just say, that's crazy. No, it's not. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love it? 100%, man, 100%. I don't care if my wife ever does anything. I'm, I'm responsible according to God, and I can do it only because he lives within me. He can love her 100% of the time, all the time, whether she responds to me or not. He keeps on loving her through me. Because there's a lot of times I don't feel like loving her, but he says, that's okay, I still do. And since I'm living within you, I'm going to keep on doing it. And then we have like this battle. Well, I don't care. I'm not going to let you. <laughs> you know, and you start rolling around, you know, you ever wrestle with yourself on the floor? And um, I haven't either, man. I'm not that off. But some of you have said yes, I would have admitted it. <laughs> uh, this is love, right? Not that we love God. 1 John four ten. Look, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 19 goes on to say that we love because he first loved us. I didn't have a clue how to love anybody. That's as blunt and as simple as I can say. I could say that I did and I can pretend that I did, but I didn't have a clue what love was all about. And it's not because I didn't have the right role models and it's not because I didn't see it demonstrated in our home and it's not because I didn't read about it or see it or whatever on movies and the Waltons or whatever. The reality of it is, is I didn't know how to love someone else because I've never been loved like God had loved me. But when I was loved by him the way he loved me and when I was drinking and running around and being an idiot and uh, ignoring God and rebelling against God and watching football all the time instead of having anything to do with him and when Linda snuck off to church and took our kids and I told her, go ahead, have a great time but the East Coast game started at 10. This is nonsense. Um, when she was doing all that and I was doing what I was doing, man, I'll tell you what, I didn't know what it meant to be loved like God loved me. And you know what I find out later? Every time I sat home, every time I watched the game, every time I rebelled against him, every time I heard somebody talk to me about Jesus and said, you've got to be born again or whatever it is, and I told them to shut up, they didn't know what they were talking about, and they had to screw loose and to save it for some other idiot. Every time that I did that, you know what I realized later as I read what God has to say? He kept loving me. That's amazing. There's no love like that. Luke 19.10 says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Some of us have people in our life that we think it's impossible for God ever to get a hold of them. They're just so boneheaded and stubborn. But let me just tell you something. I don't know where you were before you came to know Christ, but you have never seen anybody more boneheaded and stubborn than I was. And knowing some of you now how boneheaded and stubborn you are, I've got to believe that it's kind of like you know, a genetic thing. You had it before, too. You know what I mean? <laughs> this isn't just something you developed here recently. And so somehow he got your attention... Somehow he got my attention. 
And you know how he did it? Because he kept loving me despite myself. That's an amazing kind of love. And that's why John said earlier, he said, Man, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. And it wasn't a question in his mind, but he said, And that we are. Whoa! That's awesome. God demonstrates his love for us in this while we are yet sinners. Christ died for us. Don't ever get this message confused when you're sharing with people who have never asked Christ into their life. Don't ever confuse us. Don't ever put the cart before the horse, so to speak. Don't ever tell them they need to stop doing this, that, and the other thing in order to accept Christ. That's nonsense. I told you about the guy who came to me one time and said he had eight questions that he had that needed to be addressed. I said, well, what do you, what do you want me to tell you? So I got these eight questions. Before I accept Christ, I got to get answers for these eight things. And I said, you know what? The answers won't make any sense to you. What you need to do is just ask Christ into your life, and then we'll talk about the Came back a few weeks later and said, I asked Jesus into my life. I said, well, let's go over your list. He said, it doesn't matter anymore. The list's already been taken care of. That's <laughs> the way it works. That is the way it works. You can't get those answers first. You just got to put your faith and trust in Him, and He'll take care of all those questions. See, spiritual love, God's love, is delivered without requiring a response. And some of us love so conditionally that it's pathetic. You do this, I'll do that. You do this, I'll do that. You do this, I'll do that. You didn't do that, I'm not doing this. Oh, please, grow up. You know, grow up. Spiritually grow up. I mean that. You just keep on doing, and you let God take care of your needs, and he can do a better job than my wife could ever do, or my kids, or my friends, or anybody else. God meets all my needs, whether any of you ever do. And that's a wonderful thing to count on him, because I've been let down by too many people to be trusting in one another. And not that we don't need to trust each other, not that we don't need to build those relationships, but the reality of it is, none of these relationships here on earth will ever take the place of my relationship that I have with God through Christ. None of them. Number three, he goes on, and it says that spiritual love is demonstrated by what it does. Earlier earlier in chapter 3, he told us that um, this is how we know, as he says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has, has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, then how can the love of God be in him? It just doesn't make sense. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. It says, how in the world could God live within you if you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and your life, your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit, you no longer live. The old Chuck that I used to know is dead. Jesus lives through me. That guy died. I'm a new creature. All things have become new. If God lives within me and I see somebody in need, how in the world can I turn my back on that person and deny any type of opportunity to help them? There is no compassion. There is no love because Jesus never turned anybody down. Lord, my daughter's died. Hey, I'm busy. I got a, I got a, a three-day seminar that I'm doing this weekend. That's not what he said. Lord, my son died. Bring me to him. The blind man. Lord, I can't see. Come here. I'll take care of it. Jesus never turned anyone down. And if he lives within you, how in the world can we turn our back on the needs of people around us and be cold-hearted to him? We need to use discretion. We need to use good stewardship. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying just to go out there and be an idiot. We need to ask God for wisdom and seek wisdom according to James. If any man lacks it and he knows that we do, this is a very difficult area because we live in a world filled with needs. 
But the point that he brings up is that we're talking about needs of people he continually brings in our life, people that we can help, people that we have the resources to be able to do something about, and yet we continue to deny our hearts to that person because of whatever it is. But God says, listen, seek wisdom, ask me. Is this the need you want me to meet, Lord? How can I do it? Which way do you want me to do it? Is it? Are you disciplining them in their life? I'm not saying to go out and give money to anybody who needs money because God disciplines some of us because of our poor, our poor choice in lifestyle and because of the poor things that we're doing with the finances he's already given to us. And he just doesn't ask us to bail people out of trouble. God disciplines people that way. But I, don't have, I, I need to understand and have discernment. God, are you disciplining this person or do you want me to help this person? What's the circumstances involved? Is it a hard, quote, hard luck story or did they, did they deliberately do things to get into this case if that's the case i need to know the difference i don't know i'm really stupid i know you are thanks for turning to me let me help you out see but god's love amen yourself (laughs) but god's love is demonstrated by what it does and so we have to be i mean compassion is moved to action and if we don't love in a practical sense where we are reaching out and meeting the needs of people, then you better examine yourself to see whether you've ever asked Jesus Christ into your life, that you've ever believed Him with your heart, that you've really believed and asked and received Him because the evidence has to be there of a new life. And if you're cold and selfish and you turn your back on other people, then you've got to start to wonder, boy, do I really know Him? Because I don't demonstrate or show evidence that I've got God's kind of love in me. I got the world's kind of love. I'll help people that can help me. I'll scratch their back, they scratch mine. But when you start to give to people you know don't have a prayer in this world to ever do anything for you, that's when you know that something's different about you. Spiritual love is defined by its ability to give. You can't give until you come to know Christ. That's why the course, freely, freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. Go in my name and because you believe, others will know that I live. What's he talking about? We have the ability now to give to others that can't do anything for us in return. What a wonderful thing. It's so contrary to the world. The world and its love and all its definitions don't make any sense compared to what God is saying. God's saying, hey, if you know me and I live within you, you can do things for people who never could do anything for you and you won't even think twice about doing it. It's not even a thought. Well, what do you get in return for what you're doing? I never thought about it. Does it matter? I'm not getting anything. And that has to do with the fifth point. And you know why some of us kind of stumble and, and we fall in this area? Because we're just plain disobedient. That's all there is to it. We just are disobedient. God says, I bring needs before you. I bring people into your life who have hurts and needs and they want to know that there's, there's a God. They want to know that I love them. And you can demonstrate this love for me. You can demonstrate it. You can make them see Jesus. They can see Jesus living in your life if you love people like Jesus loved people. And they'll be attracted to your life. And they'll be attracted to you. And then you can say, it's not me. I was the most selfish, miserable person you ever met. But in 1978, February 16th, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. My life hasn't been the same since. So it's not me. Don't pat me on the back. But hey, all I want to tell you is Jesus could do the same thing for you that he did for me. And it had nothing to do with me. I'm not that great a guy. I was a pretty, I was a pretty crummy person. Ask my wife. She was there then and she's there now. And she looks and says, man, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's what she says. And that's all right. And I'm glad that she says that. I'm just glad that he's in our life. Because we wouldn't have a life if he wasn't there. Not the road we were going down. That's a wonderful truth. And to give him all the praise and glory for it. It's not me. 
And as we go through it, see, what he's saying is, okay, if you've come to know Christ, you've asked the Lord into your life, you've been born again, okay, you're now part of the family of God, you've entered the race, and now you're struggling along to get to the finish line, but don't ever forget that he who began a good work in you as you entered the race will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. Either until Jesus comes back or he calls you home, one way or the other, he's not done working with you. He's not done working with me. That's good news. For I know because some of you think I've got a little ways to go. And that's all right because he's not finished with me. But I'm not content to stay where I'm at. I want him to keep working on me as I'm moving forward. I'm not content to say, boy, I sure came a long way. I don't really care if I go much further in my walk. You know, this is enough for me. Hey, there's an any area of my life where I've ever been content at status quo. I don't know anybody that is. We're always pushing on to something better, something bigger, something more exciting. Why not in our Christian walk? Lord, I'm not content to be right here in this walk. I want to jump up here, do whatever you've got to do. See, but that is a matter of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. It's as simple as that. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. You can't get around this. When you ask Jesus Christ into your life, now you are responsible to live a life of obedience before God. It's as simple as that. And that's why spiritual love or God's love is defeated by sin. And we saw this in chapter 3, 1 John 3, 11 and 12. We saw the exact opposite of love is hate. This is the message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Jesus told this over and over to his disciples. And all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love one another. We're talking about a tax collector who worked for Rome loving a, 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 a zealot Jew. We're talking about a group of guys who had nothing in common except one thing, and that's their bond in Jesus Christ. We're talking about a group of believers here who may not have anything else in common but one thing. God's love transcends every barrier that there is in this world. It transcends racial and cultural barriers. God's love transcends economic barriers. God's love transcends age barriers and age differences, single and married differences. God's love transcends it all. And you know what he says? We should love one another. Why? Because as we love one another, the world looks at it and says, how can you love this person? How can you love that person? You have nothing in common with them. You say, you know what? Not according to this world's standards, I don't. But there's one standard that we do. And that is that we all have one thing in common. And that's we've asked Jesus Christ into our life. And he's Lord of our life. He's a Savior. And we can't wait to see him again. If we don't have anything else in common, we got that in common. And so as you go through, this spiritual love is defeated by sin. Disobedience. You see a need? Meet the need. You're told to love one another? Then love one another. I don't care where you're coming from as far as your background. And there's some of us that still got prejudices of some sort, whatever it is. Oh, you know what? This person makes this much money. We only make this much money. We don't like them because of it. Oh, praise God that God's blessing them the way that they are. And they've got a responsibility before God to do what's right. No different than a person that makes this much money. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what religious background you have. I don't care what you, what, what's going on. Whatever it is that separates you from loving one another, you better realize one thing. Jesus Christ died for your sins as well as anybody else's. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's God's type of love. This world doesn't come close to imitating it. Not even close. Spiritual love, distributed by God. You can't get it any other way than except one way. Ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in their name. And you know what? I'm sorry, but you know, there there are a lot of people who think that they're Christians, but the reality of it is, I knew this when somebody asked me, when did you ask Jesus Christ into your life? 
when did you receive him? Oh, I, always, I went to church. I was baptized. I did this. I did that. That's not the question. When did you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life? When did you receive him as Lord and Savior? Well, I was confirmed. No, that's not what I'm asking you. When did you ask Jesus to come into your life? When did you receive him? When did you get to the point where you believed in your heart that he truly died for your sins? When did you do that? Hey, there is no way the God of this universe comes into someone's life without them knowing when. That was the point that that guy made when he was talking to me. Because, hey, I didn't sleep through that experience. Jesus Christ comes into someone's life when they say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for doubting that you were who you said you were. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you're alive and that you're Lord of the universe and I need to know you. Man, I'll tell you what, if you've never done that, then you need to get that right with God. Because that's not something that just takes place silently, quietly, somewhere where you don't know. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell, that's what. The Bible's pretty clear. We're all going to hell unless we are born again. That's as simple as it is. We don't need to be saved from something if we're not going anywhere that we need to be saved from. Right? God's love comes from a right relationship with God, and that only comes by asking Christ into your life, and you need to get that right. You need to get that right. Second thing is it's also delivered without requiring response. When you know Jesus, you can love people and you don't care if they can ever do anything for you in return. It's not even a thought when you meet their needs. And it's defined by its ability or demonstrated by, by what it does. God's love isn't merely an inclination. God's love is a demonstration. God demonstrates his love for us and yet while we're sinners, Christ died for us. God gave us his only begotten son. God loves and he keeps on loving and he keeps on proving that he does. The fact that you're still alive proves to me that he still loves you enough to try to get your attention so you can get right with him. Ain't greater love than that. It's defined by our ability to give. We can't give it if we never received it. It's displayed by obedience to God. And it's defeated by sin. It's defeated by sin. Hey, there's two things, two conclusions to all this. One is, you've got to make sure that you know him. And if you've asked Christ in your life, that's wonderful. But you know the second thing is? Now you've got to live what you say you believe. You've got to demonstrate it by the way you live. And you've got to be obedient to the word of God. There are things that aren't right. Lord, I want to make them right. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for just a practical look at love as uh, your word tells us. God, we just thank you that you are love and that all of love starts with you. And it was demonstrated to us in that you took on the form of a man. You took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. That you came to this earth and you lived a sinless life, a perfect life, so that we can see what you desired of us. That we could see perfection. And as the eternal God, you went to the cross to shed your blood for the sins of the world. That all we need to do is believe that and receive him, that gift that you've given us. This gift of salvation. For by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. Not only did you die for our sins, but you rose again three days later, proving that you not only could conquer death and offer spiritual life, eternal life, but that you can certainly forgive sin if you could conquer death. And we just thank you. There's nothing we could do but ask Jesus into our life. And Lord, I just thank you that as I have done that in the past, that you have demonstrated your faithfulness in my life that there's been a demonstration of love for others that I could not stand before, a demonstration to want to meet needs as they're presented to us with no thought of anything in return. 
And we just thank you that uh, your word gives us, um, uh, it's a lamp under our feet, a light under our path that tells us how we should live, tells us where we are, tells us what we need to confess. And Lord, I just pray that all of us that have come to know Christ will live a life of obedience, that others will see as we love one another a great love that we have that only could be God-given and supernatural. And Lord, I also encourage all of us to live what we say we believe. And I just look at what's going on on the Rams and I see the guys that are coming and the people that have been just drawn to Christ because of their lifestyles. And I just thank you for that. And I just ask your blessings upon them, that you would encourage them, that you would continue to strengthen them in their walk with you. But that each one of us would take a look at the worlds that we're in and see if we're living a life that's pure, transparent, and non-hypocritical. And we just thank you that we're a light in that place that you've put us and that because of that, others will be attracted to Jesus Christ. And we just thank you for this time, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.